Hello, and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth. This is Season 6, Episode 13, The Chosen Generation, with Derek McDuffie. Derek is a gospel music director from Mississippi who has been ministering and teaching music in Portland, Oregon since 1995. The gospel choir he founded has performed all around North America and shared stages with Josh Groban, Steve Lawrence, Stephen Hurd, J.J. Harrison, and Dr. Judith McAllister, and more. Derek taught music at the height of an arts and culture renaissance at the Arts Magnet School Jefferson High in a historically Black neighborhood in Northeast Portland during the 1990s and early 2000s. I spoke with him about his time there and what it was like to create such a thriving musical culture in Northeast Portland, while mentoring these youth who went on to become very successful solo artists. Some of his former students are previous Future Prairie featured artists, and we have podcast episodes with them as well. Alonzo Chadwick and Saida Wright are specifically mentioned here, and I think they make great companion pieces to Derek's conversation. If you have time, I hope you get a chance to check out those other episodes. The motto of Future Prairie as an artist collective is keep dreaming and scheming. I think the sentiment is very well reflected in Derek's work, and it was a joy to speak with him. Please enjoy Derek McDuffie. Hello, my name is Derek McDuffie. I am a Portland resident of 26 years, almost 27 years now. I'm originally from Mississippi, born and raised. I am a gospel artist here in the city and sort of nationally now. Yeah, um, got my bearings in Portland shortly after I moved here. Started a group called Chosen Generation, then later um, changed it to Kingdom Sound, Derek McDuffie Kingdom Sound. So. That's a little bit of who I am. Married for 27 years. Kingdom Sounds work is, <laughs> I would say challenging, but not. But it's fun. It's very fun. They are a representation of me musically, in a sense. Um, Kingdom Sound, we're, you know, we're our gospel ensemble slash choir, but more on the ensemble base as far as how we sound, how we sing. We delve into classical music, we'll delve into some vocal jazz, we'll delve into some other things, That, um, but the, the origin of it is gospel music. Gospel music in the overall landscape of music to me is the interwoven thread throughout a lot of American music that we hear today. A lot of your roots from, or people that we hear today or that have sang even um, in decades before Got their, got their beginning in gospel music or had some kind of influence from gospel music or gospel music artists. Gospel music sort of uh, derived from the blues. There was spiritual music way before then, way before the blues derived, but as far as the actual origin of this genre, what we call gospel music, was actually birthed from Thomas A. Dorsey, who was a blues musician. So Thomas A. Dorsey was a blues musician and his first song he ever wrote 
that was considered gospel music was Precious Lord Take My Hand. And out of a life situation from his wife uh, having their first child and died during childbirth. And the child died maybe a couple days after that. So from that, that's where he wrote Precious Lord Take My Hand. Before that, Thomas A. Dorsey used to travel with, everybody has heard of Ma Rainey, of course, you know, from August Wilson's book, of uh, Ma Rainey's Black Book. But Thomas A. Dorsey was the musician for her for years. So he was a blues musician. So his um, adaptation of how he wrote Precious Lord, um, the African-American church did not like as far as how he presented it, as far as the court structures. They thought it was too bluesy, too worldly um, for what we called back then sacred music. But at the same time, he is the father of gospel music. Gospel music, as far as truest sense, always has a story. Most gospel artists or gospel musicians or writers always have a story behind what is the most impactful, you know, what, why they write a certain song. For him, of course, writing Precious Lord Take My Hand, you understand why he would say that, you know, and help me stand, all that kind of stuff. I'm tired, I'm weak. Of course, you will be tired and weak after your wife passed and this was your only child that you had and your, your, your child dies right after that. So I guess my influence from Thomas A. Dorsey you take as far as the styles that we play today, a lot of, a lot of certain things that we do as far as passing chords and stuff like that came from Thomas A. Dorsey. For my singers, I always try to make sure they connect with the songs because if you can connect with the songs, and that's for any artist, um, whatever genre you sing, um, if you can connect with a song, you can deliver the song better. Your audience can grab from you because then you have a story to tell because whatever, whatever that song may be saying, you tell your own story through that song. Jefferson High School was, at that time, a performing arts magnet school. Um, so of course, but you know, it really pulled from all the the youth in this area that lived in the area of Jefferson High School, so north northeast Portland. A lot of your kids that were already, I would say, I wouldn't say church babies, but at the same time, they were in a sense had extreme amount of talent. During that time, Jefferson High School, of course, you know, their strong suit was gospel music, but they sang everything else. They they sang the jazz, they sang classical. Anything that you threw at them at that moment, they were sponges and they did it well. At that time, they were a predominantly black school, super, super talented, it, not only just in you know choral music, but also they had the jazz band. And of course, Jefferson Dancers was the elite, but they had other dance programs under that as well. So they were the magnet school if, as far as for arts. You wanted to be at Jefferson during that time. When I got to Jeff, Saida was... Uh, junior Alonzo was, I think a, that was his sophomore year. So yeah, they were all, they were, uh, they were fairly young. Um, majority of your who's who that you see today in the city, um, Nehemiah Booker. It was just so, so, so many that have come through Jefferson at that time. But yeah, you know, when I first got to Jeff, um, Eugene Blackman had moved on to other things. Um, he was a local musician and artist in town at the time. And so when I got there, it was like, you know, they're looking at my first, my first class was like, you're not Eugene, who are you? And <laughs> I felt like, and especially this country guy coming from Mississippi um, into this urban art school. And I was like, yeah, I just stepped into Eastside High 
from 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 lean on me because they're like they're giving me the blues. <laughs> or the this is the scene from Sister Act Two is like and now you know um. I'm Whoopi, Go- I'm Whoopi Goldberg, Goldberg's character, and they're giving me like the blues. It's like, who are you? Why are you here? Where's Eugene? You know, what what can you do? What can you pr- prove to me who you are? And for the first few months, I did. You know, I did have to prove to them, but they always delivered. You know, whatever I threw at them, they always delivered. And wh- that's one of the things was like, you know, they grew on me. Of course, as far as the music, the gospel music scene here was a little bit better then. You know, it was still different than the South or the East Coast, in a sense, or Midwest. But, you know, that you did have some community choirs here at the time, which sort of phased out. I got a chance to listen to some of them as well. But from there, I was like, you know, these kids are going to be adults soon. Let me start my own group, see if they would bite. A couple of them did. I knew the vision, what I what I had, but, you know, starting out... I started with three members, but I started teaching, you know, big sound. So, you know, even with three members, you know, you would think if there were 10 or 12 in the room. People that I gleaned from at the time had big sounding choirs or, you know, certain things as far as they pushed for, I gleaned from that and, you know, sort of made it my own. We grew to from three till about seven. And seven was the number for some years. <laughs> Majority of them were just finishing high school and you know, just trying to find their way in some other areas of life or, you know, not quite twenty-one, but not they just graduated high school or getting ready to graduate high school. I always wanted them to find their own voice. A lot of that is find their own voice, but you know, one to develop this ensemble that would be the premier ensemble of this area, this region, not knowing how, because a lot of times, especially during the 90s, if you weren't from Portland, you didn't get that many chances to be on certain platforms until they sort of develop a relationship with you. So a lot of our times were a lot of practices, you know, so, you know, I think that was the biggest thing, which I think it helped develop us into who we are today. We don't have as many practices anymore, but... uh, (laughs) But I, but I think the thing is, during that time, you learn how to develop a certain sound. You learn how to develop relationships with with these, you know, at the time seven people. But you know, you know, some have moved on to other things. But um, when you see each other or when you connect with, it's almost like there's no time lost at all. 
The climate here, it wasn't as bad as it is now. I guess it has sort of gone down, as far as the violence has sort of gone down by the time I moved here. I heard about it, um, but of course they told you, it was like, oh, don't be on this street, especially because when we first moved here, of course we were catching city transit a lot. So we were riding the, you know, riding the bus. So it's like, oh, don't be on Deacon around this time of the night, especially if you're having to trans transfer buses or whatever. Don't be on this street. Don't be, you know, don't, uh, I think I caught the wrong bus, you know, um, going to work to Jeff one day. And from where we were standing, so I ended up on Mississippi. Of course, Mississippi is a thriving neighborhood now, but at that time, didn't want to be caught on Mississippi even during the day. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, oh, I think um somewhere I shouldn't be. But, you know, keeping them from troublesome areas um, at the time, because they, you know, they were, of course, they were high school. They could do some things on their own. I think it was a good thing for them to get some kind of bearings before furthering their education in school as far as higher education or wherever they were going after that. So I think that was a, it was a good thing. For the church I played for, I was a musician. Then I became more of the minister of music before I left that church. And that, that church at that time had five different choirs. The church was called New Hope Baptist, so it's on Gatton Vine. And you know, during that time, they had five different choirs. Each choir rehearsed weekly. Yeah, on top of working your regular job. So, yeah, it was a lot. Earlier this year, I was, I just finished my tenure at a church called Victory Outreach. They're more of outreach-driven church, which they deal with people that are more, deal with gang violence or deal with more overcoming drug issues. They have a couple rehab homes and stuff like that. So it's a great, great experience as far as getting to know people that are really on the street or dealing with street, street life. But... It can be challenging in the sense of you're dealing with a lot, a lot of different personalities, a lot of things that they're still trying to overcome or, you know, regain, you know, some consciousness as far as some mental things. So it felt like the gate swing open in a sense in some areas. Of course, they were still doing like gospel announcers guilds and stuff like that. Um, the West Coast Gospel Announcers Guild would happen every Memorial Day weekend. So we got invited to a couple of those tours, like, you know, if there were certain national artists that were in town in the gospel music scene. So we got a chance to either share the stage as far as singing background for them, or we would open for them. My stage was a huge thing, which was great for me because my truest sense, I'm an introvert. So, of course, this thing, what I do with gospel music and just music in general, forces me to be extroverted. So, of course, I'm this... Extrovert or introvert, in a sense. A lot of times I can be home and, and just chill by myself and be content. But, you know, when MySpace came around, perfect way to introduce yourself, somebody had caught a clip of us singing one time, I think at a midnight musical, and they sent me the clip and I just posted it and it was like, yo, know, it's just like it started gaining a lot of traction as far as for social media at that time. Yeah, so we got a chance to, after that, we sang for Josh Groban. Josh Groen came to this area, and funny enough, I got the email through MySpace. <laughs> so his management is like, we're, we're going to be in the area as far as we're going to be, you know, wondering if your group would love to sing. Of course, the popular song at that time was You Raise Me Up. You know, would you love to, you know, sing for Josh Groen in Portland? That's, uh, that was the first invitation. Mm -hmm. Sure. After that, there was like, well, this choir, the contact that they had in Seattle, can you do Seattle as well? 
Sure, we know we've been up and back back during that time. Seattle is like our second home. It's like every other weekend we were up there singing for somebody. So we, you know, got a chance to do Seattle as well. There was the only thing that I turned down was Boise at the time because I was like work schedules. I don't know if they can get off in time enough because it's like, well, can you do Boise? And this was last minute. And I was like, in hindsight, I was like, I should have said yes and just like pulled together. It's like, you know, they probably would have all take, taken off. But at the same time, it's like that drive and. That was a great opportunity from there. We got a chance to meet other local artists that were in town that were looking for it. Sometimes gospel choirs to do certain things with them. From the Portland event, we met Patrick Lamb, got a chance to do some things with Patrick. More of your major gospel artists that were in the region, we got a chance to sing with or share the stage with or sing background. During that time, Kingdom Sound was developing a name for themselves. I still don't discredit our early years because that prepared us for those moments. It was sort of, I think it was what I was teaching the group at the time, developing a sound for a, a kingdom-like sound, developing a sound for the kingdom, taking the sound that we hear in the heaven and developing that in the earth to resemble heaven in a sense of what, make it sound heavenly. During the second reunion concert in 2012, I already knew then that chapter of Chosen Generation was closing. You know, as far as great people, great camaraderie, but I always knew that chapter as far as and the name was going to shift. Take me out outside of Kingdom Sound, I'm still music, I would say. Derek is a quiet person. I like to explore, but at the same time, I'm very, very reserved. I'm very observant. You know, before I delve off into anything, I'm going to observe um, to see if it's worth my while. Yeah, outside of that, I, I think I'm sort of, you know, I think one of my knacks is um, I, I guess I'm a teacher by by fault. Yeah. Yeah, by fault. Um, a lot of times, you know, if certain things that I study, of course, or certain things that I, I'm really into, of course, I'll expound more. Um, other than that, um, I'm quiet, just quiet, chill person. Portland's has grown on me. You know, of course, it's different now. <laughs> it's a lot different now. Um, Portland used to be is like this, of course, the the big city with a small town feel in a sense. Um, Still quiet, in a sense, outside of some of the stuff. It's changing. Um, gentrification has changed a lot, but at the same time, it's like, I think now Portland's trying to mimic the Bay Area to me, in a sense, which sometimes makes it a little bit hard to live because of it's expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. But um, the music scene here is very beautiful, but at the same time, the gospel music scene has died off. And trying to resurrect that is always has been a challenge. So to see um, Kingdom Sound to still thrive in such a less populated area for gospel music, it's it is a challenge. But you know, to you know, you still have to keep moving, keep pushing, keep dreaming. One of the things that are like a mantra for me now: never give up on your dreams, never stop dreaming. Because of, just because you may get older, don't mean that you need to stop dreaming. Because if you stop dreaming, you die. For me, getting out of the city to see what other other groups, other ensembles are doing, or mm-hmm. attach and make those networks a network of people. So it's like, okay, oh, you're doing this. What can I glean from you to bring back to my camp? I may not mimic you, but I'm, I can take something that you do, learn from it, and bring it back to my camp. Going to the different functions for gospel music. Nashville was uh, the Stella Awards, which is the Gospel Music Awards. 
they were the hub for a minute. Of course, Nashville is just a hub for music, period. Mm-hmm. But going there and gospel, gospel musicians and artists during that time, doing Stellar Weekend from all over, this is this massive mecca comes together. And you hear all these different forms of gospel music. And you learn and you gleam and you network. Mm-hmm. So for my, my first year going, I networked. Um, of course, going to um, conferences, Gospel Heritage Conference. At that time, when I went out, I think it was in North Carolina, networking with people in Chicago. Go to Chicago. So sometimes, like, even if I don't take the group, I'm going to go see what I can gleam and take from these groups. Little did I know, they already knew who I was. That was that was a shocking thing. My first year at Stellar's, I was like, hey, I know you. And I'm like, yeah, for real? It's like, MySpace. You brought it was like the um <laughs> I was like, oh wow. But it's like, yeah, it was like your choir sings this. He's like, very small group, but big sound. I was like, Yeah. Oh, okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, and I think that was a year, a couple years that we brought JJ Harrison here for the first time. He's like, he was like, I'm his MD. And I was like, Yeah, I follow you guys. It's like, wow. You know, so it was a shocking thing, it's like people know who you are after without saying anything for a while. So yeah. Planning for the Christmas concert. It was actually our first big in-person concert since before the pandemic happened. You know, uh, before the pandemic, we just um, did a soft CD. We did a CD release, but it didn't release nationally, digitally till a couple months later. Pandemic, you know, shifted so much. Planning for that was a little scary because you didn't know if people were going to show up. Of course, you do you do online ticketing. You can look, you know, every once in a while, I'll go in a couple of days and look, see how many tickets were sold. But of course, Portland has this funny way of buying at the last minute, <laughs> buying tickets at the last minute, especially for gospel events. Um, so you can't really gauge. It's like, ah, uh, okay, we're probably getting about 200 people there. And, we, you know, we envision it like the venue that we use, they tell us like, well, you can go up to about 500 people with, with as far as spacing out and stuff like that. So planning for that was like, okay, we don't know, but, you know, I just felt like we need to do it. You know, a lot of people are missing our concert. The sound team we use, every, um, we've used for years, Rose City Sound. When the pandemic hit, it was like, where I was like, I look forward to your concerts every year. And it was like, he's like, you're not doing one. This is like, I don't know what to do with Thanksgiving weekend. And so that was that was a hard hit. Just like yo, this like this is different. It's like you know, you, you never know until people start talking how they look forward to your events. You know, of course they'll show up and they'll come, but to, until you hear these what do you call testimonies afterwards, you never know how they affect. It's like and he's like your shows are so magical, and it's like that hit the heart. So it's like yeah, it's you know even if you know if you even if you don't get a full room, if the people are impacted by what you do, that makes a difference. So leading up to that, it was it was scary, but at the same time exciting to like, you know, this is I know this is purpose as far as what I what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment. You know, to walk out and to see the whole bottom floor full and part of the balcony full is like, yo, this is real. This is this is really real. But you know, it was exciting. Exciting, of course, you know, your energy level goes up, of course, you know. You're thinking in your mind, like, Derek, calm down. Make sure everybody executes everything on point. Of course, in the group, you have all these different personalities, sound check, personalities can pop off. <laughs> but, because, every, you know, everybody's on 10. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's on 10, you know. And they just, you know, at the end of the day, they just want the concept to go well. Everybody's nerves, their mind spaces in total different, different areas. 
without masks, mm -hmm. that part. And also, you know, the group has, has grown to, you know, of course, the nucleus of the group, maybe half or a little over half lives in town, then about half live in the Seattle area now. So bringing, you know, for the last two rehearsals or one to where they got to sing together. That was a challenge, you know, now bringing these two groups, not really two groups, but they are in a sense, but bring these people together to sing together, to make sure everything that I'm teaching one, you know, in Portland, making sure they, they got that in Seattle and whatever, whatever I implement in Seattle, Portland has that same thing, bring that together and make it work. Um, as musicians or as artists, sometimes we hit those slumps, you know, to where it's like you can have extreme high, then a couple of days later you like you plummet. And just having the one of those moments like, you know, where am I? Why am I doing this still? Or, you know, I should be, you know, you have these shoulda, coulda, woulda, in a sense. It's like I should be further along than where I am now. And these people have come through this group and they're doing these great exploits. Uh, one in particular at the time when I was thinking of like um, Internet Phenom right now, Ashley J. Ashley J used to sing with us. She started. And you're or thinking like, um, or uh, Saida Wright, who was saying, you've sang with one of the greatest, one of the goats um, of our time as far as Prince, at, with Ashley J as well. So it was like, you, and, but, you know, of course, and I, I still appreciate Saida because she still will, you know, wherever she goes, she'll still mention, you know, where she got to start from. Or she'll, she'll mention Kingdom Sound, Derek McDuff and Kingdom Sound. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Derek, you'll, you'll be surprised some of the people who have heard your name in these rooms. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, when you have those moments, you, you know, you're just like, yo, they've gone on to do all these other things or, or like Emmanuel or, or Henri, who, you know, who's, you know, doing all these great, great things, singing opera, doing all these things in other countries. And you're thinking like, well, what about me? And I have, I mope for a minute and I had just like, yo, wherever they go, just because you're not there physically, you are there still because they've taken what you've what you've ingrained in them and they're giving it to the world. For me, and of course, Portland has people know of it, but not really as far as in the gospel music scene. Of course, it's like, oh, is anybody there? And of course, Portland, they will come. You know, the, your bigger artists, your A-list artists, will come through the city or come through this region. But my legacy, I want it, want Portland to be known just like. We yeah we have our own we we can stand with stand toe to toe with any other artist or any other genre. Um, of course, Portland is known now for the other genres in you know in the world, but I want it to be known for gospel music as well. This is a special episode that was funded specifically by the Oregon Community Foundation through their Creative Heights program. I'm so incredibly grateful to them for recognizing our efforts and really witnessing what we're trying to do with this work. As a result of their generous funding, we were able to pay this artist substantially more than a living wage to work on this interview with us. And we're so honored to be recognizing the great work that they've been doing over years and years and years that brought them to this point in their career. So thank you again to them and thank you to OCF for creating more opportunities for artists and culture bearers to share work and share ideas. It just means the world to us. Thank you. 
If you'd like to learn more about Future Prairie and all of the fun projects we're working on over the next several months, just head over to futureprairie.com. And we also welcome your thoughts and ideas and feedback. Please feel free to reach out anytime online, on social media, at Future Prairie.